What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Real Reality Realness with Brian K. James, the podcast where I, your host, Brian, interview figures in music, reality TV, and pop culture about their lives, their perspectives, and their platforms. Join me five days a week as I get to know some of my favorite people through their points of view and their journeys to their personal greatness. Lock in while I clock in, because we are about to get into it. going on everybody brian k james here and i'm so excited to let you know that this podcast is being brought to you in part by outlander media network outlander's mission is to bring you the most exclusive alternative content from across the web from the farthest reaches invading your space we appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in and never want you to forget to embrace your inner outlander I am Brian K. James, and this is Real Reality Realness. Alrighty, welcome and welcome back to the show. This is Real Reality Realness. I am Brian K. James, and I put the mess in the message. I am so excited to have this person on the show today. They're currently a fierce and fabulous attorney, but you may recognize her from America's Next Top Model, and I cannot wait to get to know her better. Ladies, gentlemen, and every gender or lack thereof in between, join me in welcoming to the show, Veranda Brassfield Esquire. How are you doing, gorgeous? I am blessed and highly favored, Brian K. James. How are you? I am feeling good. I am feeling great. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you for making some time in your schedule for me and for taking my call today. Absolutely. I'm um, a fan of the show and I just am really excited about um, all of the amazing things that um, are in store for 2023. Yes, likewise. Now tell me, what are you most looking forward to in this year? I am looking forward to executing this year. Mm. For so long, and everyone that knows me knows that for the entire pandemic, I have been home. I have been home and I have been in a preparation season of my life. I didn't, um, I really took COVID seriously and I have been home with my family and um, re-engaging in the things that I love and becoming reacquainted with with all of the various parts of myself. I'm feeling good. I feel like my vibrations are off the roof 
and I'm, I'm ready to execute. Yes. Now, what are you leaving behind in 2022? There are so many things that I'm leaving behind in 2022. Fear is one of them. Doubt is another one of them. Those are like the twins that, you know, <laughs> chunk both of those babies to the side. Yes. I'm also just leaving behind anything or even person that doesn't serve me. And, and it's, it's a, it has been a time of mourning because some of those things I've been very, very comfortable with, you know, some of those people I've been very, very comfortable with, but anything that doesn't serve me right now, that's not pushing me, motivating me to get to the next level. I, I just don't have time for it right now. Hmm. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I relate to that. I think you know, going into this year, we, I feel like I'm running into a lot of people who are running into this year head first, knowing exactly what they want, exactly what they want to do, where they're going, how they want to get there. And they just don't have, like, I feel like nobody has time for the mess. Nobody has time for BS in 2023. Like nobody got time for it. We are here to win. There are too many checks to cash. There are, there are too many coins to collect. There are too many opportunities to have. There there's too much peace to be given. Like, we don't got time for messing this year. Absolutely. That is the sentiment. That is the whole vibe. And I'm feeling it. A lot of people that I know really didn't start the year January 1st. Like, so many of us started back in September or, you know, just building it. And for the next year, and it was a, a seamless transition for so many people. I'm just really excited about, about having done the work and being able to 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 just take it to the next level i am so with you on that you know to that thought process i used to say that i don't start my year until black history month just so i can get myself acclimated to the year so far and just see what we're really doing in the year i used to give myself <laughs> months to adjust and get my sea legs and get my feet wet and I was like, I'll start in Black History Month. We'll start in February. Let me just get through Martin Luther King Day to um, see what y'all really giving, and then we'll figure it out later. But to your point, I feel like this this year I really did start in like November. Yes. I feel like I, I feel like I really started this year in November because I really cranked up the notch on this podcast. I really you know, turn the direction of it into a talk show. And I really kind of leaned into the podcast that it is now. And I really kind of jumped into it head first. And I feel like that's where things really started moving rapidly, or at least things started moving for me when it comes to this show. And like, I've been able to have all of these interesting conversations and so many people like Faronda Brassfield Esquire on the show, like I never would have thought. So like, you're you're absolutely right. My 2023 started in November of, of 2022. Yeah, yeah. And you know, God is just waiting on us. I'm a, I ain't gonna preach today, but God is waiting on us. That's one of the things that I had to learn. Like he's, he's waiting at like, girl, where you been? Come on, let's go. And he's got, you know, he's gonna do everything he said he's gonna do. And I'm just really excited about it. I'll take a sermon now. Don't hold out on me now. Don't Ooh, come. Shabala. Don't come to the show and hold out on me now. 
Now tell my audience, for the people who don't know, cause y'all gonna learn today, who is Veranda? Veranda is so many things. I am a country girl. Uh, I was, I've lived so many different places, but I, um, I, my family is a family of farmers and um, I grew up on the land. I grew up knowing, um, I didn't grow up knowing like lack. I think um, is one of the things that defines me. And we were not rich people at all, but we had land, we had, um, we grew our own food, we had animals. You know, it was nothing for me to go outside and pick a piece of fruit off the tree whenever I got hungry. And that's what I ate, pick some nuts up off the ground. And the older I get, the more that I understand how that has shaped my, um, my mindset. So I'm a country girl. I am a, I have been a model. I'm now now a role model and a civil rights, human rights activist. I am a staunch abolitionist. I work every day to, um, to abolish the death penalty in this country, to reimagine what our criminal legal system can and should be. I am an attorney by trade. I, I, I'm a daughter, I, I love my family, um, I'm a sister, I'm a TT, I'm fabulous. <laughs> you know? Yes, ma'am. Oh, oh, yes, ma'am. Now, what do you think that coming from your background in the country, really having an actual connection to survival in by your own actions, what do you think that today's society could learn from growing up the way that you grew up? Our society, and I think that the pandemic highlighted for us how dependent we are on others for our basic sustenance and existence. Um, most people that I know don't grow food. And if when, when the grocery stores were bare, people just didn't have food. Most people um, are not, are, are very dependent on others for their existence. And I think that um, while the, the pandemic highlighted that for, uh, for all of us, not all of us made the appropriate changes. I know a lot of people that started gardens like in 2022. And um, I know a lot of people that didn't. And so I just encourage people to kind of think through where we are in in our country and what do we need to survive and figure out how to be because we're all interdependent but how to be in independent when you can't be that makes perfect sense what do you think the most impactful thing you learned during the pandemic was or was that an opportunity just to reconnect back to the back to the childhood that you had before all of these things were clogging up what we saturate our days with. Sure, and that's one of the that's one of the things that I really learned in the pandemic is that we there's so much fluff in our lives. There's so much unnecessary data in our lives. There was so much for me personally, there was so much unnecessary movement in my life. Like 
being over here and over there and doing this thing and doing that thing. And while I had good intentions, I did realize how much of um, the movements that I were making, I was making was unnecessary. How many of the things that I was doing really could have been done virtually or through an app. Um, and that's from court appearances to um, meetings, you know, all these meetings you run around and you we used to run around town for, you know, you can just log on to your Zoom and connect. Yeah. And you can connect with people from anywhere in the world from the comfort of your own office. Um, I also learned um, how I learned more about myself. I think we all should have because we spent so much time by ourselves and, um, and, and just in solitude, or at least I did. I learned how to enjoy my own company. I learned, um, I learned how to hone my skills. I, the pandemic was really the first time that I was able to sit and download and really kind of process things that had happened to, in my life. Even my America's Next Top Model experience. That was the, the time that I was really able to sit down and kind of process my emotions around it. I ended up doing a, a podcast with Oliver Twist. And yes, friend of the show. Yes, uh, friend Oliver. of the show. And shout, shout out to Oliver. Shout out to Oliver. And just going through and revisiting and during the pandemic, a lot of people started posting old clips and videos from America's Next Top Model. And I I watched some of that stuff for the first time. You know, I watched some of it for the first time because when the um, when the show after the show aired, it was so traumatic, the whole experience. And I didn't realize that until, goodness, it's been many, many years later. Wow. What do you take away from rediscovering your feelings on that show now and dealing with them in a retroactive spec perspective? Like, what were the things that you learned about yourself or from that experience going back and revisiting it? Sure. I it's it's funny watching a as a 40-year-old woman watching a 25-year-old self on television in a competition show. It it really has been eye-opening for me. I did not realize how much the show had shaped my life um, afterwards and, and my, my public identity afterwards. Um, I did not realize that there was some trauma there from the experience. I had just tried to kind of block it out and just keep moving forward because for the most part, my experience was a positive one. But, um, and so I'd ignored the trauma that also came with that positive experience. I, I realized how, um, how problematic the experience has been for some of my fellow ANTM alumni. And, and I realized that as I talk about my experience, I have to acknowledge what I know other people experienced. And those experiences have been, have been very different. Mm. 
how do you balance knowing that your actual experience was positive and the trauma that you're discovering through it? How do you balance those experiences in comparison with now being an advocate for your fellow contestants or your fellow people who were on the show? Where where do you draw the line between, well, I had a good experience and, but dot, dot, dot. Sure. So the first thing that I, and I'm still working through this, this is a, a process. So this is, is ever changing. But the first thing that I did was to try to try to figure out, like, you had this positive experience that also came with this trauma that you are, are kind of processing through now. And I, I've been working to understand how the trauma has affected me in since then and how it still affects me today. Some ways is that, you know, I shy away from the public light in the public eye. Like for so long, I've not wanted to be um, in the public eye. I've seen and experienced what comes with that and while some of it is good a lot of it is 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 very taxing it is um it is energy draining it is um it can be very negative you know you people are commenting on your appearance your demeanor your attitude your upbringing in some cases you know so i had to realize you know how that shaped me and how that i've i've that has that trauma has bred doubt in me how it's bred fear um, and and working through those emotions what are the ways that you're coping with that now like how are the ways that you're working through that today sure so um, so just working to um, to understand what the actual fear was um, to identify those triggers because I'm I'm an entertainer. I've been an entertainer my entire life. Like, I, that's what I do. I entertain and I enjoy doing it. So what about, you know, what about your experience with America's Next Top Model made you not want to entertain anymore? It made you not want to be in the public eye. Identifying those things. And, and like I said, it was that, that whole public competition thing, the psychology of like living in a house and waking up and go and sleeping and breathing competition um, that ultimately was so subjective. You, you, you didn't know if your efforts were really being highlighted or if you know, it was just such a trick bag to be in. Um, and so kind of processing that, working through those emotions and um, and working to be, rebuild confidence in, um, in myself and knowing that my confidence um, should not, my self-esteem should not, cannot, and will not be defined by what a panel of um, Tyra Banks and her you know, homegirls, boys, what they think or, um, you know, what the people in the comments think about, you know, the picture or the video. Um, 
finding that inner inner self-love and self-worth that cannot be touched by the outside people absolutely can you walk me through in the line of thinking of how this has affected your relationship with the public what do you think this experience has done for you in terms of the relationship with the people who are closest to you? Do you think that it affected how you looked at the people in your circle, who, who was around you? Did it make you question the people that you felt you knew or that you considered to know you best? I'm, I'm so thankful and grateful and blessed that I have like real people around me. And many of the people that I engage with have been my friends since forever they've um i've got a huge family and so i'm blessed in that regard that i've got a built-in support system so it didn't affect it didn't affect it wasn't a situation where i felt like people were changing or that type of thing but it did affect my desire to cultivate outside relationships like I needed to under there were so many things about me and my journey that I needed to understand and this is not this is outside of um of top model this is just um, trying to find self-actualization and 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 finding my path through life so I have gone through a um especially after the show a, a great period of solitude where I need to hear God speaking like everybody be quiet I'm going I'm going to my room. I need to, you know, I need to listen. I need to understand what's going on. People ask me all the time, what, you, what are you doing, girl? I'm trying to get my life together. And I really am. Like, I'm sitting somewhere thinking about something, trying to make a master plan. Hello? I know that's right. What's the most impactful sign that God has ever given you? The most impactful sign that God has ever given me I think it's a series of signs that um, that God continues to give me. But the theme is, I got you. Like I got you. I just need you to have faith. I need you to believe, and we we about to we about to take off. And every time I activate my faith in that way, God shows up and He shows out. He does above and beyond anything that I could have ever even imagined or thought for myself. What a superpower. When you first started your work in coming through your experiences, what were the main things you included in your prayers? Like, what was your consistent prayer to God that it was like, okay, this is the thing that I keep needing you to hear from me. This is what I need you to work on with you right now. What were you telling God consistently in those moments? I think then and now I'm continuing to say, God, please lead me. Please guide me. Thank you. Being having a, a, a spirit of gratitude always and thankfulness, but asking God, please show me which way you want me to go. Please take me where you want me to be. Please um, take away doubt, fear, um, and, uh, and anything that would not let me fully trust you and your plan and your purpose for my life. And please just just guide me, order my steps. Absolutely. 
what do you think the most speaking in having gratitude what are you most grateful for from your America's Next Top Model experience what am I most grateful for from my America's Next Top Model experience I am that is such a great question because there are so many things that I am grateful for for that experience Um, of course I was a huge Tyra Banks fan I still am and being under her tutelage and to see a boss work was probably the best part of the whole experience because if you watch and when I go back and watch it I could see my eyes I could see me just in deep thought when they pan the camera to me I'm looking like eyes booked I'm trying to figure it out. Like, what's going on? What is the code? I need to crack this. Like, how do I not get up at six o'clock like they got us getting up six o'clock to come over to this room and wait on Tyra Banks? How do I, how do I get to be the boss who shows up when she makes it there and goes to her amazing 18-wheel trailer? luxury trailer with hair makeup with people that have her that are briefing her on what's going on i mean the 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 show doesn't start i don't care what time you get there the show doesn't start until tyra bank shows up okay okay so that was the uh that's probably the best um the best lesson and the best part of my experience is that i've got to witness up close how to be a boss how to be a boss, how to have ownership, how to um, have investment in this, not be the person that's getting paid $20 a day to leave their life and be here, um, which, you know, that's a whole nother set of issues. But um, I'm not saying bosses should, you know, pay their workers no money, but, um, but how to have ownership, how to create, how to um, pursue, how to believe in your ideas enough to see them through and to to make it happen that was the best part of the experience is how to sing how to be a boss during that time Tyra had a talk show and we got to go to her talk show I got to be on the Tyra Banks show like two or three times I was on the Tyra Banks show with Beyonce and um, Mama Tina Knowles okay it was just so many um, great experiences, but ultimately how to be a boss. And I want to be a talk show host. I'm going to be a talk show host. So I've seen the blueprint. It's been laid out how to, and how to transition, how to reinvent yourself. Like Tyra is the, is the girl. She is the mother and for that. And so that was a um, probably the best part of my experience. Nice. If you had the opportunity during your inner work process to clarify or clear up anything with the Tyra Banks production or anybody from your America's Next Top Model experience, who would you have that conversation with and what would you say to get closure? Sure. So my closure, I I mean, I don't know that I necessarily need closure from top model 
Um, I think that it was an experience. Um, like I said before, it was for me, it was mostly positive. And those those things that I've, those negative things that I picked up, those triggers, I'm working through those. They are not affecting me daily in my life. Um, but, but however, I, I do believe that that Tyra Banks mother, the, 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 the originator um, needs to address the hurt, the pain, the, the lifelong triggers that a lot of girls who participated in the show have. I don't think that that's something that can go unaddressed forever. Um, I think that I think that for the most part, what girls, a lot of the girls that I've spoken to, what they want is simply an apology. Uh, they want to be acknowledged that um, this is something real that happened to you, and we they want to be acknowledged by Tyra. They want to um, they they feel like disregarded. They feel used. They feel like, you know, all this money was made. Um, now I feel like that, you know, it's a lot of money made and girls were not able to pay their bills. A lot of people um, still have not been able to find their financial footing because after Top Model, you cannot go and just wait tables. Right. Can you imagine the stress of them? People like, oh goodness, you can, you can only imagine some of the things people have said to me. Um, after this top model experience, but you cannot, even though you are not rich by any means, you you don't have any money from this show, but you have to, you've been elevated where people see you as a celebrity. They think that you should be living this lifestyle or that you should have something um, that would designate or show that you are a celebrity and a lot of girls didn't have that um still don't have that and it, it made for a difficult time and i think that it would do so much just to have an acknowledgement so i wouldn't talk to um i i would i do have things that i could say to tyra but i would really like to broker between the 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 hurt and pain that i know that my fellow ANTM alums are feeling and have felt and Tyra Banks to um, to have some sort of acknowledgement or um, reconciliation there. I think it would be so beneficial for so many girls. I think it would be so beneficial to um, the legacy that Tyra Banks um, has created and, and wants to leave. I completely agree with that. I hope that when your talk show is greenlit, you get to bring Tyra Banks on in the same way she brought Naomi Campbell on, and y'all and and you know you can facilitate that conversation with the other girls because I definitely feel like that is a consistent thread. Um, is that they were just kind of is that a lot i've heard that a lot of people just kind of felt like they were pawns in, in an experience and not necessarily considered as actual people in the structure of the situation and so it's like those are very valid feelings yeah like that's completely valid 
when you look at the scope of how everything worked out, like you just see these girls come in and come out every cycle. And just some of them go on to do things. Some of them don't. Some of them you never hear from again. Some of them you don't. Some of them are able to go back to their lives. Some of them aren't. And it's like, where's the balance in just picking these girls out from obscurity like I think that's the other side of that coin when you talk about being plucked from from obscurity being picked out of a small town and being able to be shown this amazing experience it's like but how do you set them up to go back to that now that they're gonna have all of this exposure and and all of you know this other stuff that comes with it it's like how do you like what do you send them back with and 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 that was uh, that's one of the ways that the show failed um, failed all of us because we did not know there was no way of us knowing like what was coming with being in that national international worldwide on that stage um, there was no way we could have known and been prepared for that and um, most of us didn't have management. You know, we had people that were pulling on us to do this, to do that, to do the other. We didn't know um, about what contracts to sign, what experiences to um, or opportunities to be looking for and pursuing so that you could make the most of that platform. And um, I think largely a lot of girls had a platform that they were not able to capitalize on. And I think that it, it, it should have been the responsibility of this show, just in good conscience, put in when you're thrusting these young girls out into this madness, it should have been the responsibility of the show to set up some sort of um, foundation or just basic education on what to do. You know, we did those challenges, but they were very much for entertainment value they weren't for education and educating us um, most of the people that came through if they showed us how to do something one time you know it was that was that and then they wanted to see you do it and you know make fun of you when you didn't get it right and so you didn't have that education piece that so many girls needed um, in order to capitalize on the experience and in order to to even be pre fully prepared for what was coming our way. Now, some people may think that this is a silly question, but I am going to ask this and I'm completely serious. Okay. What did you learn about modeling from America's Next Top Model? I learned it's a dirty game. It's, it's a, it, it is a situation where people want you to, now this is what I did learn, where people mm -hmm. want you to show up early. They want you to be the first ones there. You might, you may as well beat the hair and makeup to the location. They want you to show up, be the first one on the scene. They want you to be the last one to leave. They want to do whatever they want to do to you, how, whatever they come up with. And the person that they bring to do it, might not even be qualified probably is not if you're a black girl they probably are not qualified to enhance your appearance the way that you need it to be enhanced so that you can please the client um so that you can be deemed a worthy model and get the the product that you need so that you can get rebooked you know they've got anybody you know mostly when when i was doing it they would bring anybody that 
they typically didn't have experience with black hair. They didn't have experience with black makeup and they didn't bring it with them. So they're gonna try to mix up something out of the kit that they brought to put it on your face, make you look pasty and a mess. And after all that, then they're gonna tell you, they're gonna direct you, let me look in your mouth, walk back and forth. Let me smile like this, smile, you know, boss you around all day. They are not gonna feed you that well. They are, and then after all that, they're gonna pay you low money, you know, very little money. I think you could work all day to do a magazine cover and get a hundred bucks. And then that hundred dollars is coming you might get it six months from now maybe so that's what I did learn and and that translates to top model like you know they worked us a whole lot from morning to night they bossed us around they um, withheld food they weren't that nice to us then they didn't pay us money that was the experience um, as far as like the practical day to day Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, people want to see everything a model has got. You know, you can have a, a photographer that you know wants you to do any anything. You know, they will push you to your limits. They'll have you falling off of tables and trying to be cute. It's 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 a lot. I think that the um, the life of a model is a very hard one, and I learned from top model. And in my modeling time after that, that that's not something that I wanted to do. I was not willing to work so hard for a chance to get some low money or no money. Because a lot of people want to work models for free and say, hey, you can get the tears. You can hear some pictures, put them in a book and see if somebody else will pay you. Right, because I was like, listen, Chanda, I set up my questions for you to go on tangents, right? Okay. But I was like, oh, I don't want to trigger you, girl. I'm sorry. I, I felt like I needed to, <laughs> to apologize. I'm like, girl, my bad. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. That's what I learned about, um, about modeling. <laughs> that is what I learned about modeling. It was not something that I was super interested in doing. I can go make money doing something. That's very nice. true. How long, how long did you pursue modeling after the show before you decided to switch to law? What was that timeline? So there was a, um, I didn't go to law school until 2012. And I finished Top Model in 2006. Okay. 2006. So there was a six year gap. And in that time, I lived in LA and I did modeling in LA. I lived in, I was a a model with LA Models. I lived in New York and I did modeling in New York. I did some acting work in both locations, did some modeling and acting in Chicago. And that's that that rant that I just went on that is, is, Kind of when I, what I learned doing runway shows and being there all day, not getting a lot of money, um, doing editorial pieces and not getting a lot of money. And all of the cities that I named, those are very expensive cities to try to live and sustain yourself in. And I had a very 
real talk with myself saying, okay, what do you value? Do you value saying that you're a model and, and being in this industry, working in this industry, but not having things that you could have if you, if you changed your occupation or your profession? And the answer that I came up with is that I value being comfortable. I value being um, financially sound. I, I value having a strong foundation firmly under my feet. And I realized that modeling was not gonna give me that. So I went, um, I'd like to argue. So I took my ass to law school. What what went into the decision to specifically choose law? Was that something that was like always a backup plan for you? Was like, listen, if I'm not on Vogue every six months, I'm gonna go ahead and hit it to like, like, was that always the backup plan? Or was that something that you, through your experience modeling discovered? I was like, oh, I wanna do this. That was always the plan. That was always the plan. Um, I remember a photo shoot that we did on Top Model while I was a civil rights attorney. We went to the yes. show and she asked us, you know, what do you want to do after modeling? And that was my response. I want to be a civil rights attorney. I want to be, um, and, and I'm working to, pres to preserve civil and human rights as an attorney now. Did you have any lawyers that you look to for inspiration? So many lawyers. I'll tell you the the top two lawyers that I looked when before I really knew anything about the legal profession. Um, it was Claire Huxtable. Work. Claire Huxtable uh, represented for for all of the brown girls that were um, were interested in in handling their business, telling it like it is not taking any anything from anybody but being graceful and 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 ladylike and a, and a mother and a wife you know Claire Huxtable was the epitome of black girl lawyer magic and so yeah she was absolutely an inspiration and then my mama to this day watches Perry Mason three four times a day and so I was raised on Perry Mason. You know, Perry Mason's gonna get to the bottom of it. He is gonna, gonna get crack to the case okay. in forty-five minutes. So those are the, the the two attorneys that were like my inspiration early on. Later on, it was Johnny Cochran. Mm. Baby, if 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 the glove don't fit, you got to acquit. It must acquit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and seeing, being able, you know, we were, I was um, a, a child when the OJ Simpson trial happened, but that was like the first televised trial that, that I knew of, uh, other than Rodney King. And, um, and we all know what happened with that. The, the officers did not face any, any repercussions for beating Rodney King down like a dog in the street, but, but Johnny Cochran, on the other hand, came through in the same jurisdiction, you know, and, and, the job done. and, and did what he had to do. And I saw the power of advocacy and how, um, how important it is to have, um, especially um, when you have legal issues, how important it is to have somebody by your side that's knowledgeable, that's creative, 
that's smart, that believes, and and that's willing to to put on a show. Because that's exactly what Johnny Cochran did. He put on a show. God, I love that. You know what's crazy is I was running through your Instagram page and I look at your Instagram and I think about Joan Clayton. <laughs> really? And I'm like, yeah. Like I think about black woman lawyer excellence and it just made me want to ask you because the one thing, we didn't get to see a lot of Joan Clayton in the courtroom, right? We didn't get to see her actually doing a lot of law. But one thing that always stuck out to me was that she would wear bamboo earrings and natural hair to work yes. every day. Yes. I was so inspired by that. I've never wanted to be a lawyer, but I was like, it, I, it's something about seeing a black woman wear her natural hair into an office with a suit. Girl, hallelujah. Yes. It was magic for me. Do you wear bamboo earrings and natural hair to work? Well, you see my natural hair. I've got um my my big twist in today. And um I wear whatever I want. Um I wear whatever I want and I'm thankful for this life. Um being able to be who I want to be. And whoever that is, when I wake up in the morning that day, I'm gonna be whoever that is. And um Joan is absolutely a, an inspiration and love her her character that was um, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, the yeah. fabulous. But I do, and uh, that's why I'm not at a big firm. I'm at the law office of Feronda Brassfield because I need to be able, and that's and that's one of the, the, the things that I just value about life and I've been striving for is autonomy. The ability to say yes or no. If I want to do this, then I'm going to do it. If I don't want to do this, I'm going to tell you, no, I'm not taking this on. You should find you somebody else to do it. Um, when I come into spaces, I'm coming authentically as myself. And that's what people um, expect from me in my profession as attorney at law. Um, that's what they, they uh, come to me for. That's what they want from me. And I'm not expected to be or do anything else. And if somebody comes to me and wants me to do or be something else, then I can, I can, I tell them no, I have the autonomy to tell them no. So I'm thankful for um, that level of autonomy and freedom in my life at this time. That is beautiful. And not everybody can. You know, um, our hair is still, it's, it's still legal to discriminate against black people based upon their, their hair. Yes, it is disgusting. Like I like seeing, like seeing that video of the kid getting his dreads cut off before the wrestling match is burned into my brain like I will never forget that hearing stories about people not being able to wear locks to their job and being asked to change their hair like it's just uh I've even been asked at jobs like literally at little penny any retail jobs can I comb my locks out like I was like excuse me what like what what does that mean exactly like what do you mean right like, right. I had the same reaction that I have when people ask, may I touch your hair? No! no. I'm not an animal to be pet. Um, leave no. me alone. Leave me alone. Like, please, grow up. Go. 
go go get a puppy. Like I, I, I don't know who you think you're talking to. But speak to the benefits and also the challenges that go into owning your own law firm and just running your practice for yourself. Um, you've definitely spoken to the highlights of having your own thing. What what would you say are some of the challenging parts of doing it indie, as we in hip hop would say? Sure. So I've got those indie challenges. I um, you're you're doing it yourself. And while you have support staff, you are the business. You are, it sinks or swims with with you and what you can produce and what you can create and what you design. And so that is a lot of pressure. That is a lot of work. The, um, my ultimate goal is to build a law firm, to have partners to do this work with, to be able to provide quality legal services to people across the country. And so I don't want to do it like this forever, but I do want to be in control of my own career. I want to have the autonomy to accept or reject opportunities as I see fit. Okay. Can we get into your activism and abolition work for just a second before I let you go? Please, let's do. Um, How do we get involved and aid you in the fight to abolish the, the death penalty? Speak to that, why you chose that as a stance to fight on and how the people can get involved in, involved in aiding you in that process sure so the death penalty is a topic that is near and dear to my heart has been for some time there were a few different things that got me involved in this work one of them was Damian Eccles coming to my school he was part of the um, the West Memphis three and he was wrongly convicted he was a teenager he was wrongly convicted of the murder of some young boys and he was given the death penalty he has now been um, i want to say exonerated which means that they found him innocent but that's not what the state of arkansas did the state of arkansas knew that he was innocent but wouldn't admit it and made him take an alfred plea that says, we'll let you go, but you got to acknowledge that we have enough evidence we probably could convict you again. Um, it was a um, it was a horrible move because when she, once you do something like that to somebody and put them in on death row for so many years of their, their life, you should acknowledge you're wrong. But um, the criminal legal system does not acknowledge when it's wrong. It, it does everything but acknowledge when it's wrong. So that was the first thing. And then there's a very good friend of mine whose brother was going through the um, a capital case. The state was trying to give him the death penalty while I was in law school. And the state ultimately did give him the death penalty. And just, you know, being able to witness um, front row, not only what it was doing to him as the criminal defendant but what it was doing to his family his sister who loves her brother 
and does not want him to be killed by the state. After I got into the death penalty, I realized I was able to see how racist the practice is. Black people is who is gonna be killed and executed the most, period, point blank. And it's because we live in a racist society. It's because we have a racist criminal legal system. We got racist people that are making these decisions on who they want to charge, who they want to sentence to this, and who they want to give death to. If, if, in Arkansas, it's like a black person is over two times more likely to get the death penalty than a white person, even though they both are charged with a capital crime. That's racism. That's racist. And in in that case, it means racism keep mean life or death for you. And for those reasons, I am an abolitionist. Now, do I think that if you go out and kill somebody, you need to be punished? Absolutely, yes. You can't be out here killing people. Right. You can't be out here killing people. But <laughs> as a society, we cannot say, um, okay, you kill somebody, now we're gonna kill you. You know, what if we did that across the board and say, oh, you raped somebody, now we're going to hold you down and rape you. What kind of craziness is that? And what does that make us as a society? And so I just think it's bad policy all the way around. We've got a number of cases that are coming up right now. Raheem Taylor is scheduled to be executed in on February the 8th in Missouri. He is innocent. Oklahoma has set, oh, they set 20 six executions where they had planned to execute somebody every month for two years but um just recently i think yesterday um, the attorney generals asked that the that they hold up on that process because they see how much stress is causing to the department of corrections workers that are having to carry out the executions like you got them killing somebody every month and you didn't think they was going to be stressed out you didn't think it was going to be a whole lot. So she's asked for a halt to that plan. Um, Billy Allen is innocent. <clears throat> He's on federal death row. Julius Jones in Oklahoma um, was on Oklahoma's death row. He's no longer on death row, but he's still locked up. He is an innocent man. The state of Arkansas killed Liddell Lee before, before it would even test the DNA in, in the case. We were able to get his DNA tested after his execution, and it showed a third person's DNA on the murder weapon. So there are so many issues. Um, South Carolina and Richard Moore, what's happening there? A man that he didn't even have a gun. He went into the store to rob the store, and the clerk was gonna kill him they fought over the gun and it went off and the clerk was killed so now he's on death row which when people do stuff like this are you should you be punished absolutely yes should we be killing you absolutely no and should we be a race to be a factor in it it absolutely no but it always is and so i'm opposed to the death penalty you can find us on noose to needle on instagram noose to needle on twitter and you can get more information about what's going on with the death penalty noose to needle on Facebook. That's N-O-O-S-E-T-O-N-E-E-D-L-E. Noose, like a noose that you would hang somebody with to needle because that's essentially what we've done. We went from lynching people, black people, and to now trying to sanitize it and 
and using lethal injection, but it's, it's from the noose to the needle. It's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm looking it up right now so I can add it into the episode. Wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely, because I want to make sure that I, I am doing my part to be able to provide any type of assistance that I can um, to the people that I have that are listening to this audience, be involved my be involved my, my, myself in any way that I can. So I definitely want to make sure that I include any and all links that I can to make sure that I um, get the word out as much as possible. Thank you. Of course. What other ways do you think that people who want to be more involved can go about to get into activism and, you know, execute their part in, you know, social awareness and social change? Absolutely. I think the first thing is to figure out what's important to them. You know, mm-hmm. is it is it important that you have sidewalks in your neighborhood? Is that something that you want to start working on? What is the issue that is affecting you, that's affecting people that you love and care about? And how can you make that change? And it doesn't have to be a monumental issue. You know, it can be making sure that um, your neighborhood, that the trash is picked up out of the road. You know, if you see something in your neighborhood that doesn't look good or right, um, calling somebody, figuring out, how, you know, how do we rectify this? Is it a city service that can assist us? And then connecting with your grassroots organizations to understand, you know, what the need is in the community, what the resources already are in the community, because you know, we definitely don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to start something new if somebody already is doing the work and we can just help them move it forward. So identifying the resources in your community and then deciding to take action. Okay, perfect. Um, what are your thoughts on the state of the Black community interpersonally right now? that fundamentally and and at our base like black people are are loved like it's it's being black is is the whole experience and inter community i you know i just walking down the street seeing people and just giving that reassuring nod or you know that look or that smile I think that's fundamentally. I think that in this country, country, so many unnatural things have happened to Black people um, that we we are now many of us acting and responding unnaturally to these unnatural situations. Poverty is an unnatural situation. You know, people should have enough to eat. People should have a place to sleep. These are things that are just by virtue of being born you should have somewhere to lay your head you should um that shouldn't be something that is a is a stress or strain um to to have food to have health care to lay your head i think that those are very basic things that um black people have historically been deprived of and i think that it it plays out in so many um in so many ways i think that our music I, 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 when I was younger, it was C. Dolores Tucker 
was do you remember see, see Dolores Tucker? Dolores Tucker, you a motherfucker. It's what oh. Tupac said to her. Period. <laughs> Period. Yes, yes, boy. And I was singing it with him. But um, Dolores Tucker saw something that we couldn't necessarily see how detrimental um, words can be, especially when you got your kids chanting them. You know, and a lot of what our kids talk about and sing to and dance to is murder music. And so we cannot be surprised when we have um, an alarming number of, of, of young people that are resorting to violence. You know, we're giving our young people games to play that are where you just kill people. That's all you do, you just run around and shoot people, shoot them up. You might steal a car, might do some drugs, pull a prostitute off the street. That's not a game. And that's not something, but it has been um, so normalized. And those things have been fed to our children and we feed them to our children and we, we buy it for our children and, and inundate them with that. And so I think that we got some work to do. I think that we um, we absolutely need to get back to our, um, our nature and our core, which is spiritual. Um, and, and loving. And I, I'm excited about us getting back to that. And I'm uh, I'm working in my life to be love and to be an example of what, of the change that I want to see. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. What do you think that Black people need to be doing to hold ourselves down, hold ourselves accountable, keep our community thriving and prospering while we're waiting for, you know, people in federal, political, governmental, criminal justice markets to get their mess together and do what they're supposed to do. While we waiting on the government to to do their part, how, what are the simplest things that you suggest we as a community do on our end to make sure that we're keeping our communities intact? I think we need to love on each other. I think that we need to remember that it takes a village and that's how most of us got here. By somebody watching out, by everybody watching out, by people correcting um, behavior wherever they see it. Like if my child is across town, I don't have any kids, but if I did and they are across town, you know, acting a fool, I expect any grown person that sees them acting a fool to correct them in love, in love. Right. You know, don't be beating on my child or whatever, but you know, saying, hey, what are you doing? Why are you? And I expect, you know, and I'm going to have raised my child to be respectful of correction. Um, you know, that we, we've gotten we've gotten far away from that. But I think really, I really do think that love is the answer. I think that um, education absolutely is the answer to, um, I think that really we need, um, you didn't ask me this, I don't think, but I think that we need, we need to set up like a triage of mental health services throughout our communities. Yes. You know, people deal with so much every damn day, you yes. know, from the time we wake up trying to be something that the world will accept uh, and the world, it will not accept your black ass if you just go out being a black person, you know, it's, it's much harder to be accepted. You know, what do I need to do with my hair? Um, what do I need to do with my 
clothes? What do I need to do with my voice? What, and if you're not in a position to have ownership, you're asking someone to accept you and to give you an opportunity to make money. And so um, there's so much trauma going on in the black community. And I think that we absolutely need, um, we need mental health services all throughout we need buses coming through and just riding up and down saying hey do you need somebody to talk to you know people are unable to pay their bills they don't want to say it's a recession but um i know the eggs are eight dollars is what people tell me i'm allergic but uh, <laughs> but they tell me the eggs are eight dollars eggs child i'm like girl what's going on child what yeah oh what the hell gone we need we need a lot what keeps you up at night unresolved issues mm. um, unresolved issues i um when i'm up at night i think about what i didn't do um, what i need to do what i pray that god allows me the opportunity to do and i don't like being up at night so I'm, I'm about to turn up. I'm about to turn up. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm taking it to the next level. I am determined to do all that I can do to exhaust the possibilities, to not fear, to look for a solution, a resolution, to look for an answer to whatever issue, problem that I'm facing and move on. Not to stress, not to worry. Um, I need to sleep at night. So that is my plan. How are you protecting your peace nowadays? with all that you're involved in? How am I protecting my peace? I am protecting my peace by saying yes more to the things that I want, but maybe I have been afraid of, um, or maybe I thought that were unattainable, saying yes to those things and not counting myself out. Um, I am protecting my peace by saying no more to the things that do not serve me, trying to make myself smaller to fit into situations. I, don't, I can't do that. I, I'm not on it. Trying to um, accept less when I know I deserve more. I can't do that either. Saying no to all of those things, things that don't serve me. You know, you can find somebody to do this for you, but I'm not the person that can do this for you. And being okay with that, knowing that every opportunity is not the opportunity for me. And um, so that's what I'm doing to protect my peace at this point. And it's been working out, honestly. I absolutely love that. That hit home when you said and being okay with that, child. Not every opportunity is for you and you got to be okay with that. I just went through that and that just touched home for me. Thank you, girl. It's got what God has for you and what he don't, you don't want it. That part that part and I had to realize that I was like oh chat that just might not have been for me no shade that just might not have been for me that just might not have been not that just I might have been in the right time in the right place but that might not have been the right door for me to walk through yes and that's okay and it is just fine it is just fine. okay have you found yourself yet I am finding myself in the words of Michelle Obama I am becoming Yes. It's a process. It's an everyday, you know, relearning and unlearning of things that no longer work for the the stage and the 
the the chapter I am in my life. So I am finding myself, and I am actively working to um, to make sure that. I have, what is that? It's the Maslow's, is the Maslow's hierarchy of needs or it's um, mm. something of that nature. But um, I'm working through trying to, to elevate myself and to elevate my mind to the, um, what is it? Self-actualization. Yes, yes, that is beautiful. I absolutely love that. What do you tell, what does the person that you've become today tell your younger self in retrospect? What does Veranda today as the grown ass woman she is, the grown boss lady, fabulous woman she is today, tell the little girl that was picking fruit off of the tree and minding her business? And minding her business. Girl, you are everything. You are beautiful. Every, everything that you need is inside of you. you you don't have to look for outside validation they don't have to agree they don't have to believe it just matters that you believe and I'm still telling myself that I was singing to myself in the mirror last night um, just just reassuring myself that girl you, you got this you got this and God yeah. got you. It absolutely does. Yes, ma'am. How do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as love and light. I want people um, to, when they interact with me, to to leave better off. I want to, um, I want to inspire and motivate and to, to be an example of what God can do when you trust him and, um, and commit yourself to, um, to being love and light. That's awesome. That is awesome. Do you have anything that you would like to share with me and my audience that I didn't cover or ask you about in this conversation today? I do want to um, give some shouts out to, um, to just some organizations that are near and dear to my heart. Um, the Decarcerate Arkansas campaign, Decarcerate campaign of Arkansas. Um, I'm the board president of Decarcerate, and we work to reduce mass incarceration in the state of Arkansas. And mm-hmm. it is a um, it's a fight because um, they they want to build new prisons here in the state. They have wanted to do that for quite some time. And when they build them, we know who's going in them. It's gonna be black people that they right. feel. It's going to be poor people that they fill with these prisons and um, they're going to make more money off of that. So we say no to no, to no new prisons, no new sales. Um, KKAC organization, which is an, another organization that is near and dear to my heart. Um, it's an organization who was that was founded by the Peer family. It's run by um, Mr. Wilbur Peer and uh, Mr. Mr. Ryland 
and it is an organization that helps helps farmers um, helps rural farmers to make their farms more profitable to hold on to that generational wealth and um, not lose their land like so many other black people have done over the um, over the years and so shout out to KKAC shout out to decarcerate shout out to um, the Eighth Amendment Project and the national movement to abolish the death penalty all of the people that are doing that work um, which is very, 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 very hard work because um, it is, it's very, very, very hard work. It's very isolating work. Um, and so shout out to all the people that are, that are doing that. And um, I'm just excited about the future. That is so awesome. Thank you so much. I will make sure to include all of that in the in the description of the episode as well so they can make sure to see everything and like click any links that they would like to to go to from the very jump. Wonderful, thank you. Of course, it's my pleasure. Um, Now, before I release you back into the wild, I just have one more question for you. Where can the people find you? What's next for Faronda Brassfield Esquire and all the things that you would like to promote? what is next for me um so just stay tuned um i'm feranda on on all platforms feranda is who i am just you can find me it's, i'm not i'm i'm not hard to find um in the words of coach prime but i honestly do not know what's next for me I am, I, I just put a post up last night. This is, I feel like a bobblehead. I really do. I feel like God is just got me nodding in agreement while he moves me rapidly from place to place. And I am just continuing to ask him to order my steps, to lead me, to guide me. I honestly do not know what's next, but I know I'm going to turn up. I'm going to turn up. Um, I'm, I know that I'm going to spend a lot more time in Atlanta. Um, I just feel it in my spirit. And so how that's going to happen, I do not know. But I'm <laughs> I am completely here for that. That is awesome. I am so excited for the rest of your year. I can't wait to stay tuned to your journey. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime come back anytime you want to if there's something going on that you need um, somewhere to speak about let me know if you ever go back on television let me know when the book comes out when when the talk show premieres wink wink you are always welcome to come back thank you so much Mr. Brian K. James now, let me know where are you located I am in Alabama. I am in a town most people have never heard of called Abbeville. But yeah, I'm in Alabama. I'm from North Carolina originally, but I live here now. Abbeville. Mm-hmm. What is it close to? Um, Some people may know Dothan. It's like 30 minutes away from there. I'm like two, three hours away from Birmingham. I'm like an hour away from Troy, Alabama. Um, Sometimes most people know how to find where I'm close to based on what football team they like. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> but yeah, like the closest places to me are probably like Troy, Alabama, that um, that um, people would know. I'm maybe two, three hours away from Birmingham. I'm maybe like about the same amount of time from Montgomery. Yeah. <laughs> well, ma'am, I'm sorry. I was just saying, awesome. Where, um, so will you let me know, like, um, before you put it up so that I can try to promote it and um, have people waiting waiting for it? Absolutely. Your episode, I believe, will be out on February 1st. Okay. Starting off Black History Month, work for Rhonda. Yes. Ah, you better open up Black History Month with a yes. bag. I love that. That's perfect for my. That's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. Um. According to my schedule, your yours should be coming out April. I mean, not April, but February first. Um. I'm gonna confirm that with you as as soon as we jump off of the mic. But I'm definitely gonna um just make sure that it comes out on February 1st anyway even if it does I'm gonna make sure it does anyway okay sounds great Please. and on that note children that has been our show Miss Brasfield has places to be lives to change countries to revolutionize laws to abolish and I can't hold her up anymore but I appreciate her for being here and I appreciate you guys for tuning in to help me to facilitate this conversation. I want to extend another special, special, special branch of gratitude to Faranda for coming on and blessing the pod. Thank you so much again for being here, my love. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope you have a fantastic rest of the year. You as well. I cannot wait to stay tuned to everything that you have going on. And I want to remind you guys out there, like I do every day, to be real, stay in reality, and always, always bring the realness. I am Brian K. James. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, I love every single one of you guys from the bottom of my green heart emoji. Keep the mess in the message and misbehave yourselves. Peace. Bye, guys.